Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. This week on The Gary Hour. You see a lot of cops lying? Oh my God, yeah, every day. You do? Yeah. One of the things I like most is I really like knowing that I'm leveling the playing field, that I'm giving a poor person a defense that would otherwise cost tens of thousands of dollars. Now, the Bronx in New York is a particularly rough area. Yes, it's actually where I work is the poorest congressional district in the country. Did you choose that? I did. It was a group, so it was men and women, but okay. the girls in the group lured the, the man to their house with a promise of like a threesome and drugs and blah, 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 whatever. And when they got there, the other men were waiting right. with like AK-47s and uh, kidna- kidnapped the guy. Welcome to another episode of the Gary Hour. I'm your host, Gary Levitt. This week, I talk to Bronx, New York public defender, Kristen Bruin. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bronx, New York, it is one of the roughest parts of New York City. And she handles all kinds of cases from drug possession to robbery to murder. It is a gruesome job. Gruesome. And I got to hear all about it. So if you have thin skin, you have been warned. There is rough stuff going on out here, and we talk about it. This episode is brought to you by Future Moments, makers of mobile apps for content creation. If you're a musician, a podcaster, filmmaker, go to the App Store and search for Future Moments because they have an app that'll make your life easier and your production so much better. Okay, thank you for listening. Check out the show notes. Don't get arrested and enjoy. <laughs> awesome, Kristen Bruin. Hi. Public defender? Yes. Public defender. So you're talking to me now and people are, clients of yours, I imagine, are rotting in jail. Um, Thank you yeah, for some taking... of them. <laughs> <laughs> the ones that I uh, did not manage to get out on bail, yes, they are in jail. And how long have you been a public defender for? Uh, 13 years, since 2005. Wow. Okay. So that's a lot of people. That's a lot of crimes. What do you see as being the most common crime or the, how about this the most common injustice now or when i first started 
I mean, it's the same thing, really. Yeah. The most common injustice is the um, persecution of poor people, particularly poor people of color. You, you see a difference in how they're treated versus wealthier white people? Um, yeah. I, I mean, statistically, you see it also. I mean, statistically, white people and black people use drugs at the same amount and drive drunk at the same amount and commit acts of domestic violence at the same amount, um, but they are stopped disproportionately more um, mm -hmm. for those types of activities. I'm not talking about, you know, like violent crime, those types of things, so street crime, like drug possession, um, trespassing, you know, those sorts of low-level misdemeanor crimes. Um, it's staggering how disproportionately poor people of color are affected. Mm -hmm. They are stopped at the height of the uh, stop and frisk situations. I had clients that were stopped sometimes multiple times a day, um, 40, 50 times a month. Wow. So yeah. I would imagine if you stop a person, if you stop people of color more than you would stop people than white people, I would imagine there would be more arrests of people of color. Than there are. That's just math. That's just math. I mean, if you walk down the street in the village and stop every white person and search them for drugs, mm -hmm. and then you walk down the street in you know, Brownsville and stop every person and search them for drugs, pretty much the same amount of people are going to have drugs on them. Right. Um, but for some reason, the jails are full of people of color for things like drug possessions and other nonviolent crimes. Now, do you see it as more of a race thing or a class thing? I think it's both. I think it's race and class. Mm -hmm. um, but if I had to choose one, I choose race for sure. You do? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, class definitely has something to do with it, but uh, much more so, I would say, is race. I imagine this is something you probably grapple with a lot, but what do you do if you have a client that you are pretty sure is guilty of a real heinous violent crime and you have to defend them? I actually don't grapple with that at all. Ever. Even though you have to defend them. Right. I don't grapple with it because I don't, I don't have an issue with defending someone that I know is guilty of a heinous crime. How do you rationalize that? Um, because I believe in the Constitution and I believe in civil rights and civil liberties. And I believe that um, even if you are guilty of a heinous crime, it doesn't give the state or the government or the police the right to physically violate you, emotionally violate you, um, strip you of your citizenship and your and you know decency. Um, but what if they get out? What if you do such a great job defending them that they get out on the street and then they commit another violent crime? Uh, well, I'm going to answer that two ways. First of all, um, I don't think anybody should be judged on their worst day. Mm for the worst decision they've ever made that they very often made in a split second. Right. So that's the first thing. I certainly do not want to be judged on my worst day. And luckily I am not. Right. And that in large part is because I am a white woman from an upper middle class family. Right. So that is number one. And number two, you know, I believe in a system of checks and balances because if we don't defend those who are uh, accused of very serious, heinous crimes, um, the abuses get out of hand, and we see that all the time. And mm. it starts down a slippery slope where there's no end. So if I have to help a guilty man walk free in order to make sure, you know, a hundred innocent people are not wrongly convicted, I'm willing to do that. Again, it's a, it's a math thing. I'm willing to do that. Right. <laughs> I'm willing to let that one bad guy go to make sure a hundred people that are totally innocent right. remain noticed, free. I noticed you said man. Yeah. Now, obviously I see what's going on around me and I do notice that it seems like it's disproportionately more men that commit crimes. Yes. Why is that? Do you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not like a sociologist. I'm not like a social scientist. Is this a feminist problem? Do we? Um, I think you know. Uh, for me to to talk about that, I wouldn't be coming from my public, my as my experience as a public defender. It would more just become my experience as a woman. 
Um, because I just think men are bred more to be violent and men are bred more to take risks. You think it's, it's a nurturing thing, yeah. not a nature. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's nature or not, but, um, I think it's probably a combination of both maybe, mm-hmm. but yeah, they're, they're told to be aggressive and they're, they're told, um, to solve conflict with their fists and, uh, generally speaking, at least in my experience, they tend to be more risk takers. Maybe that's a testosterone level thing, or maybe that's a breeding thing or a, a nurture thing. I don't know. But I, I, I see that in the world, and I suspect that's why we have this disproportionate amount of men that commit crime. Have you defended a woman before? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you get like super excited? You're like, yes. No. Badass. <laughs> High five. <laughs> No, no. Um, it's very rare that we get a violent crime uh, where it's a female defendant, but it happens. I sh- you know what? I wouldn't even say very rare. I would just say rare, mm-hmm. but it happens. What are the most common female crimes? Drugs. Drugs. I right. mean, the most common crimes for anybody is either a drug crime or a drug-related crime. Mm-hmm. So like a lot of robberies and burglaries are really underneath it all drug-related. Meaning they're robbing a drug dealer because they know the drug dealer won't report a a robbery? No, meaning they are drug addicts mm-hmm. and they need money or drugs. Right. Or they're drug dealers and they had a dispute with another drug dealer and they can't go to civil court to sue each other. Right. So they're forced to take it out amongst the themselves. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, almost everything. I mean, it's such a high proportion of our work is somehow tied to the drug trade, mm-hmm. whether yeah. users or dealers and very often users are dealers right they're the low-level dealers that are on the street um who wind up getting arrested and doing serious time even though they are the teeny tiny little low man on the totem pole and they get shaken down to rat up rat and yes but a lot of times if you rat somebody out you're gonna die so you don't so they don't they don't Mm -hmm. I would not counsel my clients. Very few times have I counseled my clients to turn against someone because I know what the risks are. Yeah, even though they'll get a softer sentence? Yeah. I mean, I tell them the risks. The federal government's different because the federal government has the resources to protect their witnesses mm-hmm. in ways that the state does not. Like a witness protection kind of right. thing? Right. Um, and the state doesn't have those resources as nearly as much as the federal government does. So there's a lot more risk, I think. Is there, there's no state witness protection program? Not in New York City, no. Wow. And you are mainly in the Bronx, is that right? Yes. I'm licensed for the whole state, but I practice in the Bronx. Now, the Bronx in New York is a particularly rough area. Yes. It's actually where I work is the poorest congressional district in the country. Did you choose that? I did. You did? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. Well, I work for the Legal Aid Society. They're a citywide organization. And then you can, you know, list your preferences about where you want to work. And I like working where I am. So you chose to take on the hardest hit people. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to help people, you might as well help people that need it. Right. Because you're a lawyer. <laughs> you have a law degree. You passed the bar. You've gone through so much. Yes. And yet a public defender doesn't really make nearly as much as a lawyer could make. Is that right? I, well, I'm a lawyer, (laughs) right? but yeah, I make less 13 years in than my colleagues who graduated with me that went to corporate law made their first year out of law school. Mm -hmm. I make less than that 13 years later. So yeah, it's, we do not get paid enough. (laughs) Yeah. It seems like tough work. (laughs) It is. It's very, uh, emotionally draining. Um, and they definitely don't pay us enough. So you're, you're not driven by the money. You're driven to help people. Yes. And are you American? <laughs> I am. I'm American. I actually come from a wealthy family that is also very liberal, uh, which is another oxymoron. Not, yeah. But, uh, you know, it happens, believe it or not. Yeah. We're like the George Soros types, only not that rich. <laughs> <laughs> so you really want to help people. That's, yes. That's pretty admirable. You're like, you're a hero. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you want to call me a hero. But yeah, I do it because I love... Busting cops lying <laughs> on the witness stand. I love forcing the government to live up to the promises that we give all of our citizens that are so often not uh, met. Mm-hmm. And I love doing that. You see a lot of cops lying? 
Oh my God. Yeah. Every day. You do? Yeah. One of the things I like most is I really like knowing that I'm leveling the playing field, that I'm giving a poor person a defense that would otherwise cost tens of thousands of dollars and they don't have to pay for it. And I like knowing that uh, they're getting the same shot that some rich dude would get with a private lawyer. Right. As a public defender, you're provided to them for free. Right. By the state. Uh, yeah. Well, we're a separate nonprofit. City? Yeah. We're a separate nonprofit and we're hired by the city on a contractual basis. Um, and our contract is renewed something like every three years or something. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but we actually work, we get most of our funding from the office of court administration and then the rest is through, you know, grants and that type of thing. So we don't actually work for the state. You're independent then? Yes, which is uh, which is great because we don't feel the pressures of having to, you know, please our bosses. Right. Yeah, that could be, uh, I imagine, a little, little tricky there. Yeah, which is tough in a lot of jurisdictions around the country. You know, they have to kiss the butt of the judge who is the one that's going to give you an appointment for a free, you know, for a case where you're going to get paid. Right. I don't have that kind of pressure. And I know. I know there's a lot of like... Oh, I play golf with the judge. I'll I'll talk to him. Yeah, I don't play golf with the judge. <laughs> but should you play golf with the judge? No, I, no. I, you know, I think that's movies. Also. Is, it, yeah. is there a lot of backroom kind of political dealings? Like, hey, I've got this client. You know, um, I would say there's a you know a lot of this job is negotiating. Most of my cases don't go to trial, so there's definitely a lot of negotiating. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't say it's political. I would say if you are an honest person and you're honest with the DA, um, you gain a reputation of being, you know, a forthright person who's good to work with and you're, and what you say to them means something. So if you say to them, look, this kid needs a break. He came from a bad home. You know, he was abused. He was this, he was that, you know, why don't you give him a break? They're going to take me at my word when I say that. Right. Okay. So there's a lot of negotiation before you said it doesn't even go to trial a lot of times. Right. Most of the time it does not go to trial. So you're the one that has to deliver the news to your client. Like, okay, I talked to the judge. And the best I could do is you'll get 20 years in jail. In yes. Prison. Yes. You're, so you have to tell that to someone. Yes. No, that's not good news. No. Well, depends. If you're facing 100. <laughs> right. So what do you do? When it's you... hard. Yeah. It's hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's hard, too, because a lot of times these people, because we are free and we are public defenders they have this in their head that we're just trying to get to the next case and we're not working hard for them and we're just taking the first offer we can. And it's difficult for us to convince them otherwise. Right. Um, so that becomes really challenging. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's not easy. And you know, very often I'm having that conversation with a child's, with a kid's parents or a wife and their children. Um, you know, most of my clients are also young, under the age of 30, mm-hmm. um, in their 20s, and I'm having really hard conversations with them in front of their mom, who also works two jobs and has three kids and relies on her son in part for, you know, money to feed the family. And right. I'm, I'm telling her that she needs to make a decision between, you know, her son taking five years or going to trial and potentially getting 15. Wow. They're really, they're hard decisions and they're hard conversations to have. I'll bet. Yeah. What do you, now there's been a fairly new law with police and body cams. Yes. So police have to have body cams on them. Well, it's in the pilot stages right now in New York. Mm-hmm. So not every police officer has them. It's just certain precincts have them. Okay. And they're not mandatory. Like to, they don't have to have them on at all times either. Um, it's kind of stupid. Like they can turn it off whenever they want. So it's like, what's the point? Yeah. What do you do? If, so you're allowed to, you're allowed access to their footage. Yes. Now, what do you do if you see that the body cams on, they pull, they stop somebody. All of a sudden the body cam goes off. Yeah. Body cam goes back on the, your clients and <laughs> in handcuffs already. Does that happen a lot? A lot. Um, or it happens. It definitely happens. You're like, wait, what happened to the body cam footage? Why did you turn it yeah. off? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I hit it, or it's broken, or it's defective, or this was confidential. You know, they come up with a million excuses. But and that that's, that's it. Pa- that's passable. Oh, a hundred percent. The police are trusted in the community. They are the heroes, according to mainstream everyone. Right. So yeah, they're just taken at their word. It's tricky because I imagine police work, especially in the Bronx, is really tough and dangerous work. Well, I think they also make it much tougher on themselves than they need to. How so? The, the people of the community in the Bronx don't trust the police. Right. 
right. because of the way they're, they've been treated by the police. Right. So they don't report certain crimes. They don't answer the door when the police are knocking, looking for canvassing for witnesses on crimes. Like they don't cooperate with the police because they have been abused for years and years and years and their sons and their husbands and their brothers have all been abused. So uh, they make their lives much more challenging in mm-hmm. those communities. And it is true that you know police officers do not have an easy job and it, it is dangerous and, it, and it's a necessary job, um, but there are ways they can do it to make it much easier on themselves and they choose not to. Yeah, but I feel like just by nature, it's a combative relationship. Even though I might be completely innocent, when I'm walking down the street and I see a cop, I get nervous because I know that person has the power and authority to lock me up and throw me in a cage. Yeah. So I immediately want to cross the street, even though I've done nothing wrong. I'm like, whoa. Right. But you see, most people, when they see police officers, don't have that fear. They see a police officer and they think, oh my God, this guy's a hero. Let me take a picture with my kid. You know, um, they've obviously never had an interaction. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, I have a fear too. Every time I see the police, I get nervous. Right. But uh, truth be told, someone like me really has nothing to fear when it comes to the police because they're never going to bother me. But if they know who you are and who you're up against, <laughs> they might. <laughs> who are you more scared of, some of your clients or the police? I've actually <laughs> never, I've been scared of maybe one, two clients in my life. Yeah. Very, very rarely. I, I would imagine you have a bunch of stories. I have, <laughs> I have many, many stories. Yes. My yeah, dad but- keeps telling me to write a book. Uh, are these uh, like scary? Like- I mean, they all run the gamut. I have clients that have been accused of horrific things that they didn't do. I have clients that have done horrific things. Um, like what? What's the most horrific murder? Uh, the most horrific crime I have ever defended against. Yeah. Um, I had a really nasty kidnapping well. uh, where um, it was a group of people and two of the girls lured the person um, to their house. The girls did it. It was a group, so it was men and women, but okay. the girls in the group lured the, the man to their house with a promise of like a threesome and drugs and blah, 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 whatever. And when they got there, the other men were waiting right. with like AK-47s and uh, kidna- kidnapped the guy. No, who was the guy, some drug dealer or something No, like but he was a person who uh, someone in the f- community had owned, his family owns a few stores in the community, so mm-hmm. they knew he had money. Right. And he was one of those kids that liked to kind of show off. So they kidnapped him and they're holding him ransom, basically? So they kidnapped him and held him hostage until his family, you know, paid up. How long was he held hostage for? Uh, like 18 hours, I think. Okay. Yeah. But they, you know, they, they beat him pretty badly. They stabbed him. They shot him. It was pretty nasty. You had to defend these people? Uh, I represented one of the people that was charged with the crime, yeah. Mm-hmm. In the end, everyone wound up taking a plea uh, to all various various levels of prison sentences. Right. Now, do you ask your clients, or do you say, did you do it? Is that a common question? No. I say, what happened? I don't say, did you do it? I say, what happened? Um, because very often, a person may be at the scene mm-hmm. and know what happened, but not necessarily been the perpetrator, or there may be some sort of mitigating circumstance. Um, so the better question is, what happened? Right. Where were you at this time? What were you doing? Who were you with? What did you see? Those types of things. Who were you with? Now, that kind of means that you're asking them to rat other people out. No, they're talking to me. Everything they tell me is confidential. It is. 100%. I can't reveal anything they tell me, ever. What if someone tells you that they committed a crime that they've never been charged with? I can't tell anyone. You can't? No. Total confidentiality. Yet, though, if you were like a psychotherapist or something... You would have to tell someone. No. Even if you're a psychotherapist, you don't have to tell someone about a previous crime. You don't? No. Okay. No. You ever been scared that you're going to like get followed by a client or? I had one client that said he was going to kill me. <laughs> no, I've had clients say like, oh, I want to kill you, but I've only taken it seriously once. You believe this person? Well, he told his therapist and his therapist actually broke confidentiality and told me because he believed that it was a viable threat. Wow. So what do you do? Nothing. Just wait. It was mm-hmm. actually really scary. This just happened, actually. He just got out in January. He's out. He just got out like January 6th or something. So I've been definitely more cautious walking yeah. around, but there's nothing I can do. I mean, if he's going to 
kill me. He's going to kill me. What am I going to do? Why does he want to kill you? You were defending him or you're trying to help him I out. actually got him a great deal. He's just a psychopath. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> He's just crazy. And yeah. he, you know, people want to blame others when right. their circumstances in life are bad. And he wanted to blame me because he had no one else to blame. What was he in jail for? A robbery. Okay. Multiple offender, I imagine. Yes. Very long, very long rap sheet. Um, so yeah, on my case, he was in on a robbery. And then while he was incarcerated, he, during his sort of like discharge planning, they uh, he told his therapist that he was going to kill me. Wow. Good therapist to tell you. Yeah. I but, mean, the fact that my, the therapist told me it was pretty scary because that means he really thought it was legitimate. Right. Because, you know, clients say things like, people, people say things like that all the time. Like, oh, I'm going to kill you. Oh, I'm going to kick his ass. But, you know, 90% of the time they're kidding or they're not serious. It's just in the moment. Right. It's an emotion in the moment. But for him to tell the therapist is like almost premeditated. Yeah. It was scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's been a few weeks. So I feel like uh, if he was going to do it, it would have happened right when he first got out before his life is settled and before he's in a routine. So now I feel like it's probably it's probably fine. Do you feel like he's going to go back in jail? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> he's not a nice person. <laughs> right. Do you, do you think, now this nature-nurture question is coming up again, do you think there's just some people that are just evil by nature, something went wrong with them genetically, and they're just... You mean like Hitler? Hitler, Stalin, Ted I mean, Bundy. I watched the Ted Bundy tapes recently on Netflix, and oh my god, this guy's a piece of work. Yeah, but he also apparently had like a really crazy upbringing too, didn't he? He did. He was like sexually abused and tortured. Like he had really oh, they, upbringing. They, I thought they didn't talk about that. They talked about his family being like hyper religious. Oh, I could be wrong. I don't know. I don't know anything about Ted Bundy. Okay. Do I think people are inherently evil? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. I mean, I'd like to believe that. Uh, you you can't raise a Stalin, you know, because... They're just going to be that evil no matter what. Right. I'd like to believe that, but I don't really know. Do I think most of my clients are evil? No. no absolutely not. And I you, think... You think they're a victim of circumstance? Yeah. I think 99% of my clients are victims of circumstance. Mm-hmm. I think um, if I had to pick any type of crime that I thought maybe um, was more nature, I would say like sexual abuse of... of children perhaps because that's like an attraction that is you can't really like teach an attraction Mm -hmm. so perhaps that's a nature issue but i really don't know yeah have you heard this thing where like uh this guy developed a tumor and the tumor made him a sexual like a pedophile yeah he did a couple of years in jail actually and then they took the tumor out and he was fine and he doesn't have it anymore i know i read that it was actually i I think it was on uh, Radio Lab, actually. Radio, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. We'll edit that out. We don't talk about other podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I have heard of that. So perhaps if there's any you know category of crime, I would say that one. But ninety nine point nine percent of my clients are victims of circumstance, and right. not to say that they weren't that they aren't doing evil things or they aren't doing horrible things. Some of them are, right? Um, but I think if given different circumstances, they would have made different choices. All right, let's go positive. What has been the most rewarding thing that's happened to you? I'm sure you've had several rewarding moments. Getting a raise? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'd imagine getting um, someone that yeah. you... Having the city say they're going to pay me more? No. Um, I have had a few exonerations that have been amazing. Not really exonerations because they hadn't been convicted yet and had them overturned, but I've had some people accused of really, really horrific crimes that were a thousand percent innocent. You knew they were innocent. And I was able to either get the case charges dismissed or win after trial, which is obviously a dream. Right. Um, and So you try not to go to trial as much as you can? Yeah. I mean, why, why? Do you feel like when you go to trial, the odds of them getting thrown in jail are greater? Well, first in the Bronx, actually, no, because in the Bronx, um, we have the highest acquittal rate in the nation. You do? Yeah, in large part because of our juries. They're made up of black and brown poor people that don't trust police officers. Right. So they don't trust when a police officer takes the stand and says something. Whereas in Manhattan or in some other jurisdictions, the police are much easier believed. You know, they're believed much more easily. Right. Like when a black person gets uh, put on trial in, in Mississippi or something. Right. <laughs> it's right. all white. Yeah. But like when you're, you know, when you're in the Bronx, you as a defendant, you often look into the jury and you see someone that looks like you. And right. that's normally not the case in other jurisdictions. So we're a little bit unique that. But no, we don't go to trial because the risks usually are are so great 
And um, what are, what are the risks? Losing and going to prison. Yeah. But you know, very often, especially now as crime has gone down, there's been a lot more programs like alternative to incarceration programs that are available to our clients that weren't before. So there's drug treatment, there's mental health, there's even for like domestic violence, they have <clears throat> like batterers programs for people to learn how to control their anger, mm -hmm. parenting classes. Um, there's just a host of alternatives available to our clients that were not before. Mm -hmm. So you mean you want to take advantage of those things. Are you allowed to turn down a case? If something's so heinous and you're like, well, I can't stomach this. Yeah, I, I would think my boss would let me do that. Yeah. But I mean, if you're really truly, you know, a public defender, that will happen very few times in your life. Yeah. You're yeah. not, you're not, I mean, as part of your job, you have to look at pictures of the crime scene. You have yes. to uh, listen to audio of the crime scene, 911 yes. calls. 911 calls a lot, yeah. 911 calls are gruesome. I'll tell you, the. it's funny because as a public defender, you would think, you know, when people say, what's the crime you don't want to do? And you think everyone's going to say, oh, I can't do a rape case or I can't do a child rape case. If I had to pick one type of crime I never did, did again, it would be DWIs. Really? I hate them. Why? Because they, this is just a personal thing. I mean, it's just such a horrifically selfish crime that could be so easily avoided by just raising your hand and standing out on the street and getting a cab. Right. Um, and they don't think they're criminals and they don't think they belong in jail with these horrible people because all they did was drive after a couple of beers. It's like, meanwhile, you, you know, you almost mowed down a family of four. Right. Um, and they're whiny and all they care about is getting their cars back and mm. they have no remorse and they have no acknowledgement of the dangers that they put society in. Yeah. Your job is almost like, it's very psychological, obviously. Yeah. You must learn a lot about how people's minds work. I kind of feel like there's a lot of people out there that think they're the exception to the rule. Right. They're not. <clears throat> they're not. They're not. But do you find, do you also find that most people think that they are? Oh, 100%. Every time you have a, a client that talks to the police when they get arrested, they think they're the exception. Mm -hmm. Because I sit there in arraignments and I say to them, like, why would you talk to the police? Like, you've been stopped a million times or you know what, the, the, what their job is. Their job is to put you in jail. And they're like, yeah, but, you know, I thought that if I could tell them what happened, my version, they'd let me go. You know, they told me they were going to let me go. And I'm like, why do you think that those police officers are going to let you go when right. they've never let anybody else go before? They fell for the basic police 101 trick. <laughs> yeah. It's like if the police don't put you in jail, they're going to get fired because that's their job. And, and don't the police <laughs> often do this like, oh, you could level with me. I'm your buddy. You know? Yeah, of course. Like, they're allowed to lie to you. By law, they're allowed to lie to you. They are. Yeah, absolutely. It's part of their interrogation techniques. Right. And people know that and they see it on TV, but they think that when they're in that room and the cop says, just tell me, you know. Tell me that, you know, you murdered those four people and I'll let you walk out of here. I mean, obviously. They're allowed to do that. Obviously. It's just between not... me and you, buddy. Exactly. I like to murder people too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it happened. And that's why we have so, so many false confessions, frankly. Right. The promises of things that are never going to come true. But mm -hmm. yeah. So if a cop tells you, if a cop tells a guy, just admit it, I'll let you walk out of here. And the guy admits it. That can be used in court. Of course. Huh. Every day. The only thing they're not allowed to lie about is like murder. So like if if you stab someone and he's like on life support, they're not allowed to be like, oh, just got upgraded to murder because the guy's dead. They're not allowed to do that. Okay. But they're allowed to do everything else. They're allowed to be like, oh, we thought it was a flesh wound, but really they're, you know, on life support. That's okay. But you just can't cross that line. Yeah. To, you know. Now, do you, do you get compassion fatigue or some sort of emotional fatigue from this? Yes. What, what is it? I, I mean, a lot of people get compassion fatigue. Um, yeah, we have the highest incidence of drug and alcohol abuse of any profession. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. 
We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Mm. It's rough. I mean, we see the worst of society. We see people accused of things they didn't do. Right. And we see people who have done horrible things. We see mental illness, abject poverty, racism, brutality, mm-hmm. physical abuse, emotional abuse, not at the hands of our clients necessarily, but by their family members. Um, I right. Mean, so they're getting it from both sides. They're getting right. it from their family. And then they're, and they're giving it to someone else oh, right. or the cops are giving it to them. I mean, we see the we see people on their worst days. Mm-hmm after either being accused of a horrific thing and being innocent or having done probably the worst thing they've ever done in their lives. Mm -hmm. Do you believe in rehabilitation? Yes. You do? I do. You see people go to prison and come out rehabilitated? Yes. I mean, I don't do this job because I believe in rehabilitation, but I do happen to believe in rehabilitation. What are the percentages, would you guess? Oh, I have no idea. I have no idea. Because prison seems... And it depends on what you mean by rehabilitation. Like, I had a client who uh, had several drug felonies for, you know, dealing drugs, low-level drugs, but still drug Mm -hmm. felonies. He did some time, whatever. And then I had him on a case where he was accused of um, breaking the nose of a corrections officer. And he was looking at five years, and he was 100,000% innocent. Um, As a matter of fact, he was the one who was attacked while he was in handcuffs. And we won the trial and we were able to show that the captain on Rikers Island perjured himself um, and had to admit that he perjured himself to the jury. Wow. Um, Amazing victory, right? Mm -hmm. My client was just such a great guy. And uh, he really hoped that after that he would be on the straight and narrow. But he was a drug felon. He couldn't get a job. He didn't graduate high school. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a learning disability, so it was difficult for him even filling out job applications. And after two years of being really challenged, trying to find a job and needing to f- provide for his family, he went back to dealing drugs. And now he's doing seven years in a federal prison. Wow. So, I mean, d- did he get rehabilitated? I don't necessarily know. But what is rehabilitation for him? Are you going to make up for the fact that he didn't graduate high school and has a learning disability and came from a, a home of abject poverty um, and violence. I right. mean, how do you rehabilitate someone like that? You can't give them that time back. And you, you can't force people to hire him for a job. Mm-hmm. Um, even though, I mean, if I had a company, I'd hire him because he was a great guy. He just did what he had to do to provide for his family. Mm-hmm. Now, you see a lot of problems every yes. day at work. yes. Are there any solutions that you think should be uh, put into the system that you don't see? I think all drugs should be legalized. You do? Yes. Every single one? Every single drug. You're not worried about rampant uh, addiction? No. no. You mean the, like the rampant addiction we have now yeah. from prescription drugs? No, I'm not worried about that at all. Mm-hmm. You think no. it'll stay the same? I think it'll just... stay the same. I think the rates of drug use will stay the same. But there will it may be... even go down a little bit. But It'd be a lot less work for you. Uh, I know. I'd probably be out of a job if they legalized drugs. <laughs> you can get so a corporate keep job. Keep those drugs illegal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, you can get a nice paying yeah. lawyer job. <laughs> but no, I think if I think you should legalize all drugs mm-hmm. across the board. Heroin, cocaine, whatever, crystal mm-hmm. meth, you know, whatever that uh, horse tranquilizer pill they take, whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Legalize everything. Ketamine, special K. There we go. Special yeah. K. Um, you know, it used to be my nickname for a little while. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, yeah, I think they should legalize all drugs. I think that would solve a huge, uh, portion of crime. I think we would see rec and we've been seeing record lows, but I think it would just plummet to next to nothing. Mm -hmm. New York city or New York state. I don't know which one recently kind of legalized marijuana. They did not. No. People think they legalized marijuana. They did not legalize marijuana. But aren't you allowed to have up to an ounce on you? No. As long as it's in your person. No. You're not? No. No. 
So if you get searched and like, you have marijuana on you, you can. You need arrested. to like put this out on the internet everywhere. Like, no, that's not true. <laughs> you really? can't have an ounce of weed on you, you and you will get arrested. Stop. <laughs> there, there's no tolerance law. No, no. Right. That is just like a made-up media nonsense. Is it crap? Yeah, that is not true. Right. So Cuomo governor is an idiot. <laughs> he, did you? Uh, Vote for him? I, mean, I did vote for him, but not because I think that he was a great candidate. I right. voted for him because he was the better candidate. Right. And that's what we have to do in elections. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, no, I voted for Cynthia Nixon. You did? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think she was great either. Right. But I thought she was better. I think that I, I did it more as like a, hey, Cuomo, pay attention because right. you're fucking up. And I think he did because he's gone left since. Yeah. And he recently proposed legalizing marijuana in New York State. Yes. That is true. Yes, that is true. There is a movement to legalize marijuana. But as it stands right now, it is not legal. You Mm -hmm. cannot walk down the street with marijuana on you. It's not even decriminalized. No. Not that I know the difference. It's a violation. You can do up to 15 days in jail. You can. And I see people do up to 15 days in jail. Just for possession of marijuana. I mean... Yes. If you're, if you, it also depends on how many times you've been arrested and how much you have on you. Right. Also, by the way, you can be deported. And right. whether it's illegal in New York state or not, you can be deported just for possessing a blunt's worth of weed. Right. Yeah. yeah. Are you seeing a rise in any particular crime? I know crime is decreasing uh, pretty much all over New York. A lot more opioids. Right. Because of the you know pills and fentanyl and right, so people heroin. people get prescription opioids and then they realize, well, heroin's a lot cheaper and more potent. I'll go on the street and get it because my doctor won't give it to me anymore. And then they realize that fentanyl is a lot more potent than heroin. Wow. Um, so yeah, I see a lot more opioids than I ever have before. Yeah. Um, and even just like street heroin is like back in vogue. It's like cool. Um, mm. So I'm seeing a lot more of that. Uh, but I would say that's, that's probably it. If anything, like there are certain crimes I just don't see anymore. Like I don't see people stealing cars anymore. Like that's just not a thing. Right. Yeah. People don't steal, nobody steal cars anymore. Car radios. No, nah, like nobody cares. You know what I mean? Like my car is unlocked right now as we speak. My, I never lock my car. You don't I'm, lock your car. No, because you know what? Nobody steals cars anymore. But I mean, not... if I had, you know, a hundred dollars on the front seat, I would lock my car, right. but they'd break the window. No, nobody steals cars anymore. You're not scared of that client that's out running around threatening your life being in the back seat? No. You are. Do you, do you, do you just walk around the Bronx and uh, recognize clients? Sometimes. But, I, I mean, it's a very populated city. So, yeah, right. a lot of times they recognize me and I don't recognize them because they're not an active client. Right. <clears throat> they're someone I had years ago. How many clients do you have on average per year or per month? That's more. Uh, well, I can say this right now I have an active caseload of 80 cases. Whoa. Well, it's much lower than it used to be. Really? Yeah. We, you're, you're working with 80 cases right now. Yeah. That's nothing. That's like a gift. Um, a few years ago, the, um, judicial system in New York came out with case caps to set a limit on how many cases we could have. Right. And before that I was averaging like 120, 130. How do you even like. You, of course you don't know who's who. It's triage. It's really, it's not practice. At that point, it was not practicing law. It was triage. Mm-hmm. And I would go to court with a stack of files and I would call my clients' names out and they would raise their hand. Wow. And they still sometimes have to do that. On like, For most for my felonies, for the most part, I know my clients. But for the misdemeanors that I know are only going to survive one or two court appearances, sometimes I have no idea who they are. And I just call their name and they raise their hand and we have a five-minute conversation and then they, we go inside. What do you do to unwind? <laughs> I imagine you don't turn on like some law cop show. I watch a lot of Real Housewives. Yeah. I watch New York, New Jersey, Beverly Hills, Potomac, and Dallas. Uh. <laughs> and just so you know, Dallas is the real sleeper hit. Uh-huh. Um, so I watch a lot of Real Housewives. Um, I, as you see, I have an exercise bike in my house. I'm on that thing religiously. Yeah, you got to work out. I got to do like cardio yeah all the time yeah um i eat my feelings mm. how's that working out uh it's a <laughs> 60 pound plus so it's been working out well <laughs> i imagine you have a lot of feelings I, a- and you know i work i exercise like crazy and i'm still so yeah it's doing the eating my feelings is going well 
Um, you know, a lot of people drink. I'm not a drinker. Right. Never really have been. So, you know, every once in a while I'll try to drink and it never seems to work. You're um, lucky that you're not trying to drink your feelings away. <laughs> I know. Um, so, yeah, I don't do drugs. I don't drink. I used to be a very, very competitive poker player. Mm-hmm. So that was what I did after work. And when you're playing poker and there's money on the line and you're analyzing a person, you know, you're so focused on what you're doing that you can't think about your day. Right. But I don't play anymore. So um, I'm a Girl Scout troop leader. Mm-hmm. I hang out with my kid and her friends and go on Girl Scout trips. Do they, do you go to a psychologist or psycho, some sort of therapy? I feel like you should and every yeah. public defender yeah, should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. No, not anymore. I used to. Mm-hmm. Um, went to therapy on and off my whole life and it was always very helpful for me. Yep. But I'm a single mom and I have a really demanding job and I just don't have the time. And I know that's no excuse, but it's like it's everything, something has to give somewhere. Yeah. Um, it's like, do I give up exercise? Do I give up a social life? Do I give up time with my daughter? Do I, you know, it's everything. Everything is a choice and you have to balance everything. And right now in my life, I just don't have the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. an hour is a lot. <laughs> it's not just an hour though, because you got to get there. You right. got to come home. I got to get a babysitter. Right. I got to pay somebody to watch my kid so I can pay somebody to talk to me. Right. And it's hard to get a babysitter for just an hour because who wants to come to my house and right. watch my kid for $15 and leave? Yeah. So it's actually not just an hour. It's, it's, and I know that it's a priority in my life that I, that I need to get on top of, especially lately, because there's been a lot of really tragic things happening in my life lately but i just related to the job or not well to the job and personally so i know i need to but i just also i've been in therapy for so long it's like i know what they're gonna say and i'm like an open book now and i can just rattle off what i'm you know right you get tired of telling the same story yeah and also my last therapist who i had a great relationship with had died in a freak Snowshoeing accidents. Snow what? Snowshoeing. Like snowshoeing. Of all people's therapists to die in a snowshoeing accident, it's gonna be me. So yeah. What the hell happened? He was on vacation. It was right after I had my daughter, and I was like going through crazy postpartum, and I was off my medication, which was a huge mistake. Yeah. Uh, thinking like, oh, better to breastfeed and be crazy. I obviously realized like better to take the pills and give her formula. But at the time, I was right. off my meds. I was like postpartum. Uh, yeah, he went away for the weekend. He was like a he was like an avid snowshoer, mm. and he was in Oregon, and it had snowed pretty significantly like the day before, so the trail was not marked properly. And he like sat down to like figure out where he was, and he passed out and died of hypothermia. Oh my god! Yeah, it was crazy. They found his body just frozen. Yeah, he had three kids. It was terrible. And I had an appointment with him, and I called, and his answering machine was full, and I was like, "This is weird." And he never called me back, and I was like, "Something." funky is happening here mm-hmm. and after like three days i started googling and i saw the the notice of his death and wow. then of course like a colleague of his wound up calling all his patients eventually anyway right um but yeah that was terrible and he was like the last really good therapist like i went to a couple after that but nobody ever really stuck so i just stopped putting in the effort to find somebody yeah good. it's like dating it's like hard to find a good one right and then i was just like <laughs> you know i'm never gonna find you know another dr Grobois. so yeah, I'm wow. divorced and I don't have a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who's got? So you're trying to like date and find a therapist? That is time consuming. That's the other thing. I don't date either. I'm not going out on a date with some guy that I barely know, uh-huh. who I probably won't like, and spending on it on a babysitter. Right. If I can work out a date at a time when my daughter has something to do where I don't have to pay extra to go out, then I will go out. Right, because that makes dating even worse than it already is. Right, because then I'm sitting there, I'm like looking at my watch, like, oh my God, that's another $15. Like, oh, that's another $15, you know, like. (laughs) Yeah, and you're like, I should be getting paid to talk to this douchebag. Exactly, exactly, (laughs) exactly. Oh my God, yes, I know the So yeah, I'm not really dating either, yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. My life is basically my kid and my few friends that also have kids and, uh. Yeah. And the knowledge and the that you are doing, like, the work of a martyr. You're I help- love my job, I have to say. I really, 13 years later, I love, love, love my job. And since having my daughter, I love it even more than I did beforehand. I hope your clients show you appreciation. Some do. They do? Yeah. Okay, Most good. do, most do, most do. 
Some say to their therapist that they're going to murder me when they get out of jail. But for the most part, they, they don't say that. And I imagine some just see you as part of the system that they're rallying, rallying against. Yeah, those rallying are usually against. like the low-level cases where like, you know, they only have maybe one or two court appearances. But most of my long-term clients that I have on more serious cases, I have great relationships with. And I still keep in touch with several of them. You do? Yeah. Uh, a couple of... I had a huge trial that I won recently they they highlighted the case in the intercept because um the police had been hiding evidence of their uh innocence I still keep in touch with her and uh we go to dinner and stuff like that and uh the person who called me right before you got here is another former client who uh was accused of possessing a gun that was found in a taxi it was not his Mm -hmm. so he was he uh was found not guilty in that case too we still talk um, yeah, so I still do talk to some of my clients. I try to keep it professional, so it's unusual if I have a client that I still keep in touch with. Right. But there are a few. Yeah, I would imagine you have to show some sort of boundary. Yeah, you have to keep a distance. Like yeah. this this girl who they wrote the article about, I mean, she's a single mom with three kids, and she was involved in an altercation on the subway with like some drunk lunatic. So I really, <clears throat> I think it's because I related to her. I could see myself in that position Mm -hmm. that we were able to connect because a lot of the crime that I deal with, uh, it's sort of like you have to be in that position, you know, you have to be in that life in order to be a victim of that kind of crime. Right. Um, whereas for her, it wasn't, she was just on the train going home and there was like a drunk lunatic and it turned into a huge brawl and Mm -hmm. she wound up getting arrested. So I felt like maybe it's because I related to her. Yeah. And now we're still still friends. Anyone that rides the New York subways can relate to that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Well, on behalf of uh, all your clients and uh, myself, thank you so much for... You're welcome. Yeah. If you, you know, commit any crime, give me a call. I hope I never do. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry, you're white. It's fine. Oh, thanks. (laughs) Wait, I'm not perceived as white a lot. By who? Um... That's for another podcast. (laughs) But I've been... Yes, I've been... I've been removed from an airplane before because the flight crew, quote, didn't feel comfortable flying with me. Why? Because you look like a terrorist? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. Well, I'll tell you this. If you are walking down the street in New York City, you will most likely not be thrown to the ground and arrested and accused of something you didn't do. You don't have to worry about that. Okay, good. But if it does happen, call me. I got your number. Okay. (laughs) 